Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Good. Good. A few people. All right. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I am Alex. I am one of the elders here, along with Derek, who is normally teaching, but uh, decided he needed a couple weeks off, so um, jumped in. And um, yeah, last week, uh, if you guys were here, we talked about adoption, um, our adoption into God's family, that we are sons and daughters of the king. Um, and this week is going gonna, is gonna to build on that. It's what does that mean for us in this world that we live in? So this week, we're going we're gonna to talk about unity. Um, so here at Common Ground, uh, we got a mission statement. It's, uh, where is it? It's on the wall somewhere. I don't know. Oh, it's on the slide. Hey, there it is. I knew it was on the wall somewhere. Yeah, to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. And part of that mission is how we speak into the world around us. Um, if we never engage with the world, God's not going to be able to use us to expand his kingdom. He will do it. He will expand his kingdom. But he won't be able to do it through us if we're not willing to engage. Um, and so if we want to engage with the world, there's one key aspect of that that can really make or break the way that we reach the world around us. You know, we can, we can have all of these great arguments. We can study all of this theology. We can do all of these things to understand other worldviews and how to, how to talk to people about those things. We can come up with really clever memes to throw on Facebook and all this stuff, but it really won't matter unless we have this, this one aspect of apologetics down. Um, Francis Schaeffer, in fact, referred to this as our final apologetic. Um, if you don't know what apologetic means, it, it comes from a couple Greek terms meaning speech and defense. So an apologetic is not like offering an apology for our faith, it, faith it's defending our faith. So we go out in the world and, and we are defending our faith as we interact with the world around us. And in a culture that's kind of increasingly attacking Christianity and increasingly um, kind of trying to drive away from that, we need to understand the basics of how we re reach this world around us. So in looking at this final apologetic today, we're going to be looking at two passages, um, both of which are from Jesus' final hours that, that night before he is arrested. Um, this first one is going to be in John 13, 34 to 35. If you want to flip there, we will go through that first. Jesus is talking to his disciples right here. Um, this is right after he mentions that um, Judas is going to betray him, and he's having this huge conversation with his disciples. And, and in these final hours, he's really got these things that he wants to impress upon them. And in, in this, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, Lord. I thank you that you loved us selflessly, completely selflessly, God, that you gave your life for us. And in those final hours before your arrest, you wish to impress upon your disciples and us today through your word, your desire that we love one another, that we live in unity, 
that we, uh, we go out into this world as one unified body. God, I pray that uh, these words today would drive us to have a passion for unity, to reconcile relationship, and to ultimately go out into the world and tell about the God who loved us so that we could love each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there it is. That's the final apologetic, that we love one another. Jesus does not say that the world's going to know who we are by how smart we are, by how great an argument we can form. He says the world will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. Now, I want to make it clear kind of up front here. It's going to sound kind of like I'm picking on some of these other aspects of apologetics. They are very important. Um, Studying other worldviews, studying theology, all of these things are very important. Um, In Hosea 4.6, God tells the priests of Israel, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. So God does not dismiss knowledge. He does not dismiss all of these other aspects. But he places them under our love for one another. If we don't have our love for one another, all of these other things are going to be meaningless. So in John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now here's kind of a a strange question around that. Is that commandment really new? To love one another? It's, It's not really a new commandment, but he's given a twist on it. In Leviticus, as Moses is giving the law, um, as God's giving the law through Moses, I should say, he says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this, this commandment existed in some form already, and the scribes knew that. As Jesus was talking to the scribes, you know, one of the scribes asks him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response is, to love the Lord your God and the second is like this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And everybody, everybody recognized this verse. They knew what Jesus was referring to there. So it's not a new commandment, but it is a new way to look at this commandment. So what differentiates these two? In that Leviticus verse, our love for one another is based on how we love ourselves. In John 13, 34, our love for one another is based on how Jesus loved us. We are to love each other as Jesus loves. Um, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So how did Jesus love? He loved fully. He loved continually. He loved when the objects of his love did not deserve it. When we did not deserve it, Jesus loved. He loved selflessly. He went to the cross for us. And so I look at this new commandment and understanding how Jesus took this commandment that said, you should love one another as you love yourself, and then gave us this perfect example of how to do it. Just like the rest of the law, we look at the law and it points us to Jesus because we look at the law and we say, I have failed. I can't do this. I can't live this out perfectly. But Jesus did live this out perfectly. I look at the Old Testament, it says that I should love you as I love myself. And I say, 
Sometimes I even fail to love myself properly. Sometimes my mind gets clouded by just what's going on in the world around me. Um, sometimes I, I, I don't see the full path in front of me, and I make poor decisions for myself. And so when I look at this and Jesus saying, you are to love one another as Jesus has loved us, um, it points us to Jesus. It points us away from ourselves and to Jesus because he is the one that can love perfectly. So that first point in your handout is Jesus loved perfectly and commands us to love the same way. As I was thinking about this, um, and actually talking about it with my wife, Kelsey, over here, um, we were kind of thinking about how we tend to love ourselves kind of selfishly. And one of the examples that came to mind is we always talk about how you know what would be great? What would make life so much easier is if we could just go live in a cabin somewhere, not have to deal with a bunch of people. We can go to Costco like once a month or something like that. Probably not the Carson one, so I don't run into you guys, you know. Um, <laughs> but like that would make things so much easier because I could. It would. It would just. I wouldn't have to deal with relationships, right? Relationships are hard. Relationships take work. Relationships take selflessness. Relationships take strength that I don't have and I can't do it on my own. Um, and maybe some of you can relate to me and maybe some of you guys have had that dream of just moving off into the, into the woods somewhere in some cabin and um, make sure you have a really big pantry so you don't have to hit that Costco too often. Um, <laughs> but it's a selfish love. It, it, it's a selfish love. It's one that's focused on me. And that's not what Jesus is calling to Jesus is calling us to love when it's not comfortable, when it's not convenient, when the other person doesn't deserve it. When we're going through life and, and we're, we're talking with somebody and we're convinced that they are wrong and we are right, if that's not a biblical issue, Jesus is telling you, lay that aside for the sake of the gospel. And that's not easy to do, right? That is not easy to do, to lay aside your right to be right for the sake of the gospel. But then I look at Jesus going to the cross. Jesus did not sin. Jesus did not deserve the cross. Jesus, when, when confronted by the Pharisees and, and, and the high priest, he was in the right. Jesus was in the right the whole time, and he laid that aside to go to the cross to love you and me. So when, when I think about Jesus saying, you are to love as I have loved you. And I look at the cross. It means so much more to me. That's how selfless our love should be. How much should I love any one of you? I should love you the way that Jesus loved you. And then in verse 35, he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He does not say... By your clever arguments, they will know you are my disciples. He does not say, by your knowledge of theology, they will know that you are my disciples. He does not say, by the way you dress, they will know you are my disciples. These are not the things that are on his mind as he's thinking about this. It's our love for one another. We're all going to come from different backgrounds. We're all going to come from different 
social status, different ethnicity, all of these things, and yet we are bonded by our adoption into God's family. So we live in unity, and that's how the world will know. I think one of the things that really sticks out to me, too, in this is he does not say, by your love for everyone in the world, they will know you are my disciples. It's our love for one another in the church. It's our unity that is grounded in the love of Jesus. here, sorry. Um, and so the point I, uh, that, that I want to get across today as we're looking at this is that our love for one another is the evidence of who we are. So before we go and serve at Indian Hills, before we go and serve at one of the long-stay motels, before you go and talk to your coworker or your neighbor about Jesus, before you do any of that, you have to ask yourself, am I living out a life of love for each of my brothers and sisters in the church. That is first and foremost. That is above all of those other things. And when we do that, it proves what we're saying. So when we go and talk to somebody about the love that Jesus has for them, we're already showing it. It amplifies what we're saying. It, it can either make your apologetic or break it. If you don't have love for one another and you go out into the world and tell them about love, they're gonna look at you and go, you don't even believe what you're saying. They're going to dismiss everything that we say. So this is like the, the megaphone that we're talking through here. Is it going to project? Is it going to go out into the world, or is it just going to fall flat? And the other verse we're going to look at today is, is a few chapters later. It's going to be in, in chapter 17, um, but really it's only a few hours later. This, all of these chapters are in these hours leading up to Jesus being arrested. So even just within a few hours, Jesus is going to mention this again. John 17, uh, verses 20 to 23. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This is part of what um, is referred to as the high priestly prayer. Derek went through this whole chapter kind of as a whole a few weeks ago. Um, we're just going to kind of zoom in and, and focus on this one section here um, and see Jesus again. You can tell that this is, this is weighing heavy on his mind in these hours leading up to, the, to his arrest, that he is longing for his disciples, for those who would come to believe in him, to be united. I think one of the, the most amazing things about this is, is that first phrase, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's not just praying for his disciples in, the, in that moment. He is praying for the church through all of time. He's praying for the church that in just, just a few years is going to be heavily persecuted in Rome. He's praying for the church that through the years is going to go through division. It's going to go through uh, heavy persecution 
He's praying for the church today. He's praying for you and me. He's praying for common ground, and he's praying for the worldwide body of Christ in this moment. Now, there's a temptation here in, in these verses to kind of get, get negative on this, um, that he's having to pray for this because there is going to be division, because there is going to be um, church splits, ugly times. And there's a temptation to get negative as we look at this, but I, I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on where it's really happening, where it makes an impact. Um, last week, uh, as Derek was interviewing Kelsey and I, um, we were talking about how Kelsey and I have served at the Dream Center. Um, we, we do that. That's a monthly thing for us. And, and we go there, and it's multiple churches coming together to serve this community. And when we go there, we'll, we'll stand in this circle and pray before we go. And I look around, and I see people from Life Point Church. I see people from Hilltop. I see people from 5C. I see people from Common Ground. And we're all praying together. We're not... We're not having little arguments about where our theology doesn't line up. We're not having little arguments about, you know, uh, end times and all these different views. What we do is we go there and we recognize this community has a need for Jesus. We have a mission that Jesus has asked us to fulfill. And so we set all of that aside. We don't ignore it. I'm not saying we should ignore theology, but we set that aside because we have a mission in front of us and we all have a desire to go out and see Jesus brought into the world. And, and when I'm standing in that prayer circle, I think of this verse. Jesus prayed for this right here. In this moment, Jesus prayed for this specifically, that we would be united as we went out. So your next point on your handout there is when we see the church working in unity, we can be sure Jesus is running the show. When you see the church working in unity, you can think of this verse. You can think of Jesus praying for our unity. In verses 22 and 23, it says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. I had said that, he, you know, we're going through two different places where Jesus talks about this unity. Well, in the second place, Jesus basically almost repeats himself, but with some more conditions. He, this is so heavy on his mind that he, he has to keep reiterating this, that this unity is vital in our body. Um, and so he restates this with referring to the glory that the Father had given the Son and that we are in the Son who is in the Father. As his children, we are united with Father and Son and Holy Spirit. That glory that he's talking about in here, that the glory that the Father had given the Son is their unity. I think one key distinction that has to be made here is, is Jesus does not say, you should be united just like we're united. Like we have this parallel thing. We look over at the Father and the Son and we say, okay, they're united. We need to live united just like them over there. 
That's not what he's saying. He's saying we are united in them. Jesus knew that we could not do that on our own. Um, <laughs> the example I think of there is uh, this past election cycle. We, as, as the human race, were not very united as Americans, right? We had some rough patches in there. Jesus knew, knows that about us, that we have this tendency to, to kind of di divert from each other, that we have this tendency to not live in unity. And so he doesn't say, look, look at us over here. We're united. You guys need to do that too. He goes, no, you will live united because you are in me and I am in the Father and we all live united. So we are one together in and under the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are all one family with a mission greater than us as individuals to glorify our God. And in this unity, Jesus expresses his desire that the church would function as one, that the world would look at the church and see one united front. And if we are in the Father and the Son, they're going to see the Father and the Son as we come. As we go out into the world, they will see the Father and the Son. We often talk here about three key relationships. They're right there, up, in, and out. We, we live up with God, in with the church, and out with the world. And in these verses, you see that lived out. You see that kind of spelled out, that first and foremost, we have this relationship with the Father. We have this relationship up. And everything else comes from this. We are in unity because the Father and the Son are in unity. So we have this relationship up with God that leads to a relationship in with each other. That relationship in does not happen on its own. It happens because we all have a relationship up. And if you are a believer, you have a relationship in with the church. If you are a believer, you do have a relationship in with the church. The question is, how healthy is that relationship? Are you striving to build that relationship? Do you strive to reconcile relationships when you get into arguments with believers? That person is your brother or sister in Christ. Do you strive to reconcile that? Or do you just kind of ignore it? Do you just kind of go on with your life? Do you show up on Sunday, say hi real quick, and then, and then get out of here? Or do you strive to build relationships that are going to reflect the love that God has for the church? And that third relationship out comes from that relationship in. If we don't have the relationship in, we will not have a relationship out with the world. Or, or we will, it just won't be a very effective one. And so these relationships are all anchored together. They're all tied to our relationship up. And we can look at that in the reverse order if there's an issue. If, if, we, do, if we are not impacting the world around us, if we are not going out, it's because we don't have a good relationship in. It's because we are not living united. We are not going out into the world as the body of Christ. And if we aren't doing that, it's all rooted in we have a poor relationship with our Father. We are not looking to the Father when we look at the church, when we look at our relationship. So that third point on your handout Christian unity comes out of a healthy relationship with God and speaks truth into a world that has rejected him. 
it's all anchored up. It comes from the Father and goes out to the world. The first step in that is our relationship up. Anytime we're looking at our relationship in, we first look at our relationship up. Paul had talked about before I came up here that we all recognize that we're all in the same boat, that we all need Jesus, that we have all failed on our own. And so we all go to Jesus. Our relationship up first, and then in, and then we go out. And now to be clear, um, there, are, there are plenty of groups that, that would call themselves Christians but have denied truth. They, they, they have denied that the Bible is the word of God. They have denied that Jesus is the son. They have denied solid biblical truth. Um, what, what I'm not saying here is that we should set truth aside. We do not set truth aside for unity. In fact, we strive for unity because of the truth. We go out into the world because this is the truth. What I am saying, though, is if, if you have an opportunity to reach the world with somebody who recognizes Jesus as the Son of God, who recognizes that the Bible is the Word of God, who recognizes that they have failed on their own and that they need the sacrifice that Jesus has given them, if you have that opportunity and you waste that by arguing over what color the church carpet should be or over some of these, um, these theological debates that we can get into. Uh, I mentioned the end times earlier. Uh, I don't know why. I don't understand why, but th that one tends to come up and just cause division sometimes. And if we cannot get past that to reach the world, then that does not line up with the spirit that Jesus is talking about here. That does not line up with the spirit of God, a spirit that is united. I had mentioned Francis Schaeffer in the beginning as the one who coined that phrase, the final apologetic. When he talks about this final apologetic, he says, yet without true Christians loving one another, Christ says the world cannot be expected to listen even when we give proper answers. Let us be careful indeed to spend a lifetime studying to give honest answers. But after we have done our best to communicate to a lost world, still we must never forget that the final apologetic which, he, which Jesus gives is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. If the world sees us trying to reach out if they see us giving proper answers and then turning on with each other within, they're going to laugh off our message. And they should, really. We don't even believe it if we can't live in unity. We're supposed to be a family. We're all, we're all adopted as brothers and sisters in Christ, and if we can't even live that out, how can we go out into the world and tell them about Jesus' love? So we have this unbreakable bond that must leave up, lead us to strive for unity, to strive to reconcile relationship when, they, when relationships are broken. That must lead us to go out into the world together. The foundation of our love for one another is the bond we share as sons and daughters of God. It is the catalyst for the church to reach the world.
So that last, last point on your handout, if we live in unity within the church, the world won't be able to avoid hearing our message. Just like I talked about earlier, it's, it's that megaphone that we're talking through. If we have unity, that thing is turned up all the way and the world is hearing that message. If we don't, they're not hearing it. They're rejecting it before we even get anywhere with them because they've looked at our lives and realized that we don't actually believe what we're saying. So as we think about this, to wrap up, we see Jesus in those final hours. And there's many things going through his mind in that time. But one of the things that he mentions over and over and over again to his disciples in those final hours is that we should live in unity, that we should love each other as Jesus has loved selflessly, that we should love each other even when we don't think the other person deserves it. And so as we go out into the world, we need to remember these words of Jesus. And we need to check our relationship in. And if that's broken, we need to go to God, go to our relationship up. Because that's where the root of it is. All right, I'll pray and then uh, we will end in worship. Father, thank you for this time to be together today, Lord. God, I thank you for um, just these words that you have given us in those final hours, God your heart, that we would live united, God, and I thank you that you gave us the strength to do it, that we don't have to do this on our own, but we turn to you and we look to your unity and our unity with you. God, I pray that you would lead this body to grow closer together, grow together, um, and then grow up together, Lord, that our relationship in would build each other's relationship and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.